Thank you, Brother Tony. What a joy it is for me to get to be with you this evening. Uh, Brother Graves, thank you so much for the good singing, not only uh, this morning, this evening. Uh, I think we'll sing two or three hours, and then we'll preach two or three hours. Uh, and it's just great uh, to be able to sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord. I love song leaders, and I appreciate the great work which they do. And uh, certainly, uh, Brother Gra- I know they wouldn't appreciate, the congregation here wouldn't appreciate me doing this, but if I could proselyte you down to Atlanta, Georgia, I would do so. Uh, but it's great. Good to see all of you this evening. Uh, I would like to be able to take the time to go throughout the congregation and just reminisce uh, because I know so many of you in different uh, congregations and I want you to know uh, what an encouragement it is to me to have you in the assembly this evening. I want to express my appreciation again to the elders of this congregation uh, for their invitation to be with you this week. Uh, it's always a joy because of the friendliness, the warmth, the dedication, the love for truth. Uh, that the Bobby Branch congregation has in the kingdom of God. And I want you to know that when I come and when I leave uh, this congregation, I'm always encouraged and built up uh, because of the wonderful association that I have with you during the week. Uh, really, I'm thankful my wife's able to be with me because uh, this uh, normally doesn't take place. She worked for many years, uh, retired last September, and it's great, and I'm thankful that she is able to be here. She's going to visit with her sister a couple of days in Sparta, uh, but it's always great to be able to have her with me, and I'm thankful for that. I love and appreciate Brother Tony, uh, and I know that you do. Uh, it's always exciting to me to see a gospel preacher in the congregation uh, who has been there many years. And I appreciate Tony. Thank you for your good work. Uh, I know he and his wife, and I know that you love them. And I want you to know that you're to be commended for that. We have a good audience tonight. I thought about the fellow who had uh, was at the service one Sunday morning. And he was talking to the preacher out in the foyer, and the preacher said, uh, Sir, don't you think it's time that you became a part of the Lord's army? He said, Well, I'm already a part of the Lord's army. He said, Well, how come it is that the only time I ever see you is at Christmas and Easter? He said, Well, I'm in the secret service, and so uh, you're not in the secret service. You're here. You're dedicated. And I want you to know what encouragement it is. Tomorrow night... Uh, our lesson is based upon Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus asked a question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say they are Elias or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And you remember the confession of Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, and I say also unto thee, that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hope you can come and study with us tomorrow evening. Then on Tuesday evening, the danger of assuming. It is amazing what folks will assume religiously. We're going to look at that on Tuesday evening, and then Wednesday night, uh, how to become a saint. Um, uh, you know, there's a process. Uh, you got to die, and you got to wait five years. You got there's got to be some. You, in order to be, well, you better come Wednesday night and I'm going to tell you about it. But at any rate, uh, how to become a saint and how to receive chain, uh, sainthood, uh, we're going to look at on Wednesday evening. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 25, as we continue our study on the family and the home, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, chapter number 2, the Bible said that God caused all animal creation to pass before man. He saw none suitable unto the man. The Bible says that God saw that it wasn't good for a man to be alone. And He said, I'll make and help me suitable unto the man. Caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took a rib and made a woman and brought her unto the man. He said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I'm sure that all of you, perhaps in this audience this evening, Know that the Bible says that God caused that deep sleep on man, made that woman, brought her unto the man. And the Bible says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. As you and I read the Bible, we have many passages that help us understand the relationship that exists in our families. Ephesians 5.25, and we mentioned all of these this morning. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. 
A congregation of the Lord's people cannot be any better than the families that make up that congregation. Brother Midvick Knight, several years ago, wrote a book on the family. And the title of that book was The Vestibule of Heaven. And he set out to make the case that the family is the vestibule of heaven. That when our families are what they ought to be, uh, that it is a foretaste of glory divine. When you and I go to the book of Hebrews chapter number 13, the Bible says marriage is honorable in all things and the bed undefiled. When you and I read in 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to look at all of these this evening in detail a little more. The Bible says that if a woman has a husband, he is not one as a result of the preaching, that by a chaste life he may be one to the cause of Christ. In verse number 7, the Bible says husbands are to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. And he's saying, you, you give honor unto her. And he said that your prayers be not hindered. When you and I read in the Bible regarding the family, and the Bible tells us how we are to react in that family. We pointed out earlier today, and that is the fact that the devil wants to destroy our families. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about whom he may devour. You and I can go back to the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis chapter number 3, you remember that the devil appeared unto Eve. Now, what did God say? In the day that we eat this fruit, we will die. Remember what the devil said? Thou shalt not surely die. You and I know from Matthew chapter number 4 that the devil tempted the Lord Jesus Christ encouraged him, tempted him to do that which was wrong. And in every instance, you remember that our Lord Jesus Christ replied by saying, It is written. When you and I turn to the book of Ephesians chapter number 6, and Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong the Lord and the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He said, you put on the whole armor of God. You put on the helmet of salvation. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Listen, my friend, tonight, you and I cannot stick our head in the sand. We cannot come to the conclusion that I am not affected by this, that in McMinnville we're not affected by this, that in the state of Georgia we're not affected by this. Listen, when you and I recognize that we do not, I mean, we're not going out here in the parking lot and there's not going to be a lion out in that parking lot. There's not going to be a bear out in that parking lot. You know, I think of the passage of Scripture over in the Old Testament. Man was fleeing a bear and a lion. He thought, man, everything is fine. And he goes in and he leans himself upon the mantle and a snake bites him. I don't know about you, I'm scared to death of snakes. Somebody said, well, it won't kill you. I said, if it runs me off the ledge, it will. I'm telling you. You know, somebody said, well, now that's not a poisonous snake. I don't hang around long enough to find out. I'm going to tell you. Uh, and I, I mean, there's green ones, blue ones, red ones. I, I do not know. I'm going to tell you, I'm scared of every single one of them. And the Bible teaches us when we go back again and see that serpent, you don't go out here in the parking lot and find a lion or a bear or a tiger. Uh, you and I go out in the world and what do we find? We find that the devil in trying to penetrate the sanctity of the home the Americans have done by neglect what communism did by design. You go back to 1917 and you read the Communist Manifesto and you see what communism... One of the goals of communism is simply this. If we can take Daddy and we'll put Daddy in the factory, we'll take Mama and we'll put Mama out in the field and we'll take the children and we will educate these children, and they, as a result of that, will be communists. Now, we didn't set out to do that, but is that not partly what has taken place in our world today? 
that we have taken Daddy and we put him in the factory. But primarily what has happened is that we have found in our society today that our standard of living is of such nature that many times families have neglected their children as a result to enjoy all of the pleasure of this world. Turn your Bibles. First Samuel chapter number 25. There's a great, uh, excuse me, I didn't throw this at you. There is a great passage in 1 Samuel chapter number 25. The Bible tells about David. David, oh, what an exciting man. I don't have time tonight. Uh, if you and I go back to 1 Samuel 16 and, and see how that, that Samuel uh, anointed David as king, and then you go to chapter number 17, and he goes and he slays the giant, uh, and he makes a statement there. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he asks the question, When none of them were fighting Goliath, David said, Is there not a cause? I ask that question tonight. Is there not a cause? Do you and I not look out and see our families and how they are disintegrating? We see our children uh, who many times are not faithful after they leave our households. Do we not see what is going on in our society tonight? David the great king of Israel. David David was out in the field. And while he was out in the field fighting against Saul, you remember that, I mean, he was running sometime from place to place, city to city. And now what he does, he finds in 1 Samuel chapter 25, he finds that his uh, men, they're hungry. They don't have anything to eat. I mean, I mean he has ran low on supplies. He takes ten men. He said, fellas, here's what you do. There's a fellow over here by the name of Nabal. I want you to go over to Nabal, and I want you to tell him how we protected his shepherds. They were out in the field watching their sheep. And we protected his shepherds. We did not take anything from them. We took nothing they had. We protected them at our expense. Now, I want you to go to Nabal and tell him what we have done and tell him we need sustenance. We need food. We need him to help us. So the ten men of David went to the house of Nabal. They found Nabal. Uh, and they said, here's what we want. He said, uh, 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 uh. Uh, Jesse, I, uh, well, I don't know who the son of Jesse is. Why should I take what I have and give it to someone whom I do not know? Now, they go back and tell David. They say, uh, David, they got no Hebrew to get like this. Said, David, let me tell you what. Said, I don't know, boy, he's crazy. He wouldn't help us. David said, man, let me tell you what. We'll clean his plow. Now, those of you farmers know what I'm talking about. We'll go clean his plow. So he gets his men together, and he heads toward Nabal. Well, someone goes to Nabal's wife, whose name is Abigail. And they said, Abigail, let me tell you, David is coming after your husband, Nabal, because he refused to help him. Now, Abigail was a smart lady. And I'm sure she was a very attractive lady. So uh, Abigail, she gets these donkeys and she loads them down with all, all kind of food. She got the, and she intercepts David who is on his way to battle her husband Nabal. And so she intercepts him. She said, don't let me here. I brought the food. Here's what you need. And so David did go. She goes back home. Nabal is having a big party and he's drunk. And so she decides that I'll wait till in the morning and then I'll tell Nabal what I did. So the next morning came and uh, Nabal, I'm just saying, you know, probably uh, with a hangover and walks in and she said, boy, let me tell you what I did for you. He had a heart attack right there and died. David married Abigail. Now I want you to look at this. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, if you have a Bible, I want you to look at, at this passage of Scripture, and I want, I want to give you three or four things about this fellow. When you and I look at families, have you ever, have you ever seen a family, and, and everyone in that family seems to be happy? Uh, everyone in that family seems to be uh, productive? I mean, I, I meet these families in the body of Christ. I see folks, they're dedicated to the kingdom of God, and they get their... Ch- I, 
I want to find out how you get your children to live close to you where all your grandkids can be around you. Huh? I mean, I, I go in congregations and, and I'm introduced, here's mom and dad, and they say, well, we got three children and, and here they are. Then they're married and they're kids. And they, I mean, they fill up two cues. Now, Tony said about my grandkids. Now, I'll tell you what. Grandkids, you reward for not killing your kids. And so, uh, I mean, it, they, they're great. And I'm not going to go into detail on it. But I go into, and, and, I, and I see these families, and I see mom and dad, and they're dedicated to the cause of Christ. I see dad, and he is, uh, maybe as Brother Graves, he's leading us in, and dad is participating. And I see the son, he participates. I see the daughters and their families. And, and I look at those families, and I simply want to say, Amen. God bless you for what you've been able to do. You see another family over here. It's divided. There's not any happiness in the family. They don't seem to love each other. Now, you look at these two families. I want to show you one of them right here in 1 Samuel 25, and that is the family that's divided and unhappy and isn't sad. Look, look at what happens. 1 Samuel 25, go to verse number 2. The Bible says, this man Nabal, there was a man, listen to this, in Maon, but now look at the next slide, whose possessions were in Carmel. He had his, he had his priorities wrong. See, he, I mean, here was a man of Maon, but, but where was his... His possessions were over here in Carmel. He had his priorities wrong. Listen, Daddy. Listen, Mama. You get your priorities wrong. You become more interested in how much money you have in the bank. You become more interested in how many CDs you have. You become more interested in how much property you have. You become more interested in whether you can drive one SUV or three SUVs. You become more interested and you look at the material things of this life, my friend. You're going to be in trouble. His possessions were in Carmel. All right? Go to the third verse. First thing is priorities were wrong. Secondly, Look at verse number 3 in the last uh, phrase of that verse. The Bible says, But the man was curlish and evil in his doings. Curlish. Have you ever ran into a smart addict? Oh, there are a few of them around. I'm sure not any in this congregation. I, I just have this idea that Nabal was a smart addict. Now I'm going to tell you another reason why I think that. Go down to verse number 10. Uh, and Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays, and they've broken off. What? He was a smart ass. Well, I don't know him. And now, look at the next verse. He said, Am I going to take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it to this man that I don't know? Go down to verse 17. The Bible says he was such a son of Belial. Now you cannot have the kind of family God wants when you've got Nabal as a man who's supposed to be the head of that house, who is curlish, who has the wrong priorities, who is selfish, who, ha who he's evil in his doings. He's more interested in himself than he is in his family. Now I want to give you another family. Go with me back to the book of Genesis. And the Bible says that the uh, evil was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And God said, It has repented me that I made man. I'm going to destroy man off the face of the earth. And God sent a message to Noah, I want you to build the ark. In the, uh, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. And so here we have Noah. What does the Bible tell us? The, oh, the wickedness was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And God said, I'm going to destroy man over the face of the earth. But the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man. The Bible said he was a preacher of righteousness. you got Nabal over here and Noah over here. You've got a man over here who's curlish, who is the son of Belial, who is evil in his doings, who has the wrong priorities in his life. You've got another man over here, and he had three sons, and they were married, and they built the ark, and they were saved as a result of being on that ark. 
I'm asking us. What about our families tonight? How do you get from over here to over here? Well, I'm going to give you some suggestions, and that is do not let these things I'm about to share with you tonight destroy your family. Factors that destroy the family. You, I mean, you start out a young man and a young lady stand before a preacher, and, and he, they say their vows, and man, I'm telling you, her eyes are sparkling, and there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of joy. The families have come together, and there is a great family there. Marriage is for men and women who love God and one another. When you take two individuals, you take a man and a woman, and both of them love God and follow the precepts of the New Testament, you're going to find a family that is great in the eyes of God now. But we ask the question, why is there failure in the family? Why is it that elders and gospel preachers, uh, why is it that, that, I mean, you get a call. Oh, I, 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 I mean... I got a text from a brother, gospel preacher. I got a text from him on a Friday. This has been two or three years ago. I got a text from him on a Friday. And he said, Brother Acuff, can you uh, arrange, can you find someone, is there someone at Lithia Springs who can preach for me uh, this coming Sunday? I, I said, well, he's, he's probably out of town, maybe holding a meeting, going to be gone. And I texted him back and I said, yes, uh, we got a brother here. He'll be glad to come. I contacted the brother and, of course, ahead of time he said, yeah, I'll go. And so he went out to preach in this congregation that Sunday. And he stood up and preached. And, Lord, behold, in the congregation that day was that preacher who had uh, sent me the text. And the brother came back to me and he said, Larry, I, I didn't know what to do. He said, we sang the invitation. This brother came down and to the front of the building. What had taken place in a counseling session with one of the members of the congregation, he committed fornication. I remember several years ago, my, one, I'm talking about one of my dearest friends. I'm talking about a friend you, you spend your holidays with. I'm talking about a friend that you, you feel like that, I mean, we, are, we, just, we met and, and it was just kind of like, as you know, we immediately bonded. Came to my office one day and he sat down across from my desk and he said, Larry, uh, me and he called her name, have separated. I said, what happened? I was counseling with a divorcee in the congregation and committed fornication. We asked the question, why is there failure in the family? Why do we have to face these kinds of things? What is failure in the family? I mean, you say, well, now, Brother Acuff, uh, my, me, and my, me and my wife, we've been, we've, we've been living. I loved it. Some of you came out of the assembly today and you said, Brother Acuff, we've been married 65 years, been married 61 years, we'll be married 50 years uh, in a short time. What, oh, man, how wonderful that is. Jet and I were in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge. You know, they have all these shows out there in Pigeon Forge. And, and we went to one of them, and, and the fellow, you're in kind of a break, he got up and he said, how many folks here have been married 10 years in there? If you raise your hand, you know, how many 15? He got, uh, how many have been married 40 plus years? One couple stood up, and they had been married 47 years. And there was a pause that broke out one couple. So what does that tell us? That tells us, my friend, that divorce has created havoc in our families. Now, I don't have time tonight. Matthew 19. You remember they went to Jesus and they said, Now, uh, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? But there's a statement in, Genesis, or in Matthew 19 I think we ought to focus on in our study of Matthew 19. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus said... In the beginning. If you and I want to know what kind of family God wants us to have, go back to the beginning. Oh, Moses gave us permission to give a writing of divorcement. But from the beginning, that's not God's plan. Then you and I know what the Bible says. A man puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. We need to teach that. And so divorce, I mean, that makes havoc of a family. But you know what? 
While that is very serious, a marriage does not have to end in divorce to be a failure. When a man and his wife, and they're oh, they're not separated as far as where they live. Uh, I mean, they live in the same house, but they have really no relationship with one another. And so, here's the thing I think you and I need to be aware of tonight. And that is that if it does not prepare us to go to heaven, is, is am I going to help my wife go to heaven? Is my wife going to help me go to heaven? Marriage is honorable and all the bed undefiled. The Bible says, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. God designed us for marriage. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, he said that it's good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. God had a plan. Are we willing to follow that plan? God gave us laws for marriage. Husbands love your wife. We'll talk about that. and We'll be through at 9.30. And so we're going to look. I mean, God gave us laws for marriage. And when you and I look at God's law for marriage, my friend, we can find it in the Holy Word of God if you and I will take the time. So what are the factors? What are the factors that are destroying our families tonight? Well, number one, the persons involved fail. Look what the Bible says. They are, I mean... Inadequate persons not guided by the Bible. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now watch this. You and I, we need to remember the purpose and the permanence of marriage. Now how do we find that out? What's in the Bible? In the book of Psalm number 1, Blessed is the man, listen to this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Look at that, my friend. The Bible said, Whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Revelation chapter 20, John said, I saw a great white throne in him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. John 15, Jesus said, If a man abide in me, and my words abide in him. Jesus said in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. Are you listening to the wrong person? Fellow gets into an argument with his wife. And he goes to work. And some fellow sitting at the desk or operating machine, wherever it is, he goes to work. And this old boy over there, he said, Man, I wouldn't put up with that. Why, well, I, 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 well, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I'll tell you what, man, my wife told me, reminds me of the old boy, you know, he goes home, he gets all excited, he's going to be in charge of the household. I mean, a buddy, he has told him how to be in, he goes home, he says to his wife, he said, you sit down in that chair, and he said, I'm going to tell you from now on, I'm in charge of this family, what I say goes, you're going to do what I'm supposed to do, or what I tell you to do, you're going to follow my rules, you're going to submit to me, and you're going to do like I tell you to do. He didn't see her for about four days. On the fifth day, he could see her just a little bit out of his uh, right eye. This old boy goes, uh, and, and his buddy said, Man, I wouldn't put up with that. Why? Why? I, I'm, and you know who he's listening to? He's listening to a guy that has been married three times, has 14 kids by 16 different women, and, and he goes in, he says, Well, here's what I do. Listen to this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You have seven elders in this congregation. I love and respect all of these men. They are dedicated to the kingdom. I do not know what the cumulative years of their marriages are, but I can assure you, I remember I was doing a Bible study with a lady and her husband, 
And after the Bible study one evening, she said, Brother Acuff, uh, do you have anybody in our congregation or in, 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 that, that could help my husband and I that could counsel with I said, yes, we have three men who have a cumulative uh, marriage years of about 120 years. Why? I want to ask us a question, brother. Why is it that a member of the church, a member of the body of Jesus Christ, and he begins to have problems, or, or she begins to have problems, and who does she keep it from? She keeps it from the elders. Men who love you, men who are dedicated to the will of God, men who are willing to help you, men who will guide you, men who have been successful with their families. Why will we listen to some television program? Why will we listen to some humanist philosophy rather, my friend, than listening to the holy will of God that will take you to heaven? Inadequate in their knowledge of the Bible. Must be adequate partners. Men and women who love God. Men and women who love the Bible. And what happens so many times, it takes two, my friend, it takes two adequate partners to have a successful relationship. Again, I'll have to... Again, I, I mean, I've had many opportunities. If, if you've got two individuals and he wants the marriage to work and she doesn't want it to work, it ain't going to work. Or vice versa. See, both individuals... So number one, persons involved fail. Number two, a failure to understand commitment. Marriage ceremony. The Bible says a woman is bound to the law of her husband as long as he liveth. Now that's not hard to understand. I, I mean, look, I don't have a Ph.D. in Greek. I have an H.D. degree. Humdinger, I think that's one way it stood for. But you don't have to have a Ph.D. degree in Greek in order to understand that the Bible says a woman is bound to the law of her husband so long as he liveth. And so what happens so many times, did you read recently that a television personality, a quotation mark preacher, one who has... Millions of viewers of his program, someone sent a question in and said to, to the effect, my wife has Alzheimer's. And so as a result, she doesn't know me. I take excellent care of her. Now, I, I have developed a relationship with someone else. But I'm continuing to care. And his response was, that's all right. You can go ahead and have that relationship with her. Well, I'm going to tell you something, my friend. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't understand the Bible, or he may think he does, but he doesn't understand the Bible. The Bible teaches us that it does. Listen, listen. You are not prosperity and adversity in sickness and in health. You perhaps have heard this, read it some in some bulletin somewhere. This gentleman uh, went to uh, went to a. Uh, I guess a hair so a lady was was cutting his hair, and 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 while she was he was kind of fidgety and and nervous and and she said sir is something wrong and he kept looking at his watch and he said well I need I need to be out of here by by nine o'clock and she said well uh, I, I, you know is there where she said well I need to. I, he said, I go to the nursing home. My wife has Alzheimer's. And he said, I go every morning at 9 o'clock and I help get her and I feed her. And, and the lady said, well, uh, d does she know who you are? And he said, no, no, she, she doesn't remember who I am. She said, why the her? He said, because I know who she is. You see, my friend, this idea that I'm going to throw away a marriage, that I'm going to throw away a relationship, See, because the world says, oh, no, no, here's something. Yeah, it's all right because of immaturity. I mean, now, somebody, you know, the, the marriage has changed. It really has. 
It used to be that uh, couples would get married, man, 18, 19 years old. I bet there's somebody in this audience probably uh, who got married when maybe he was 18 or 19 or 20 and she was younger than that, uh, and or maybe even 21. Now, do you know what? They're, I mean, 26, 20. I mean, my, listen, Daddy, if your son or your daughter leaves home to go to college and change the locks on the door, they may be back. Now they're coming back home, 30-year-olds living at home. Three stages. Dependence, independence, interdependence. Dependence, childhood. Watch this. Independence, adolescence. I love to watch these adolescents, you know, and they don't realize that their feet and their hands uh, uh, and their body is changing, and they go to reach for some. They'll knock the milk off the table, you know, because they don't realize what's going on. Maturity. That's when a man and a wife can live together. Now, adolescents, there are folks who are getting married at 26 and 27 and 28, and mama has been protecting him or she for years. Did y'all hear about the old boy? He got married. And uh, he, they had a clothes hamper. And uh, the wife had been told, said, you know, just put your underwear when you take it off, put it in the clothes hamper. Well, see, Mama always, he'd just take it off and leave it. Well, Mama, come and pick it up. Now I'm going to go take care of him. And she kept, I mean, she kept trying to encourage him. Here's the clothes hamper. I'll move it. I'll put it here. And it, you know what she did? She got a hammer and nailed, nailed his underwear to the floor. Oh, yeah. He was old enough to get married, but he was still an adolescent. He did not have maturity about him. Acts 20 and verse 35, you remember what Paul said to the elders of Ephesus? I have taught you how that so labor and you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive selfishness. Number four. Unfair or harsh criticism. Folks fall into that habit. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do you criticize your mate? The fellow came home and his wife and, and it could, or he had, she had dinner sitting on the table, and he come. This, but man, my, my my mama, she she could cook better than this. She could do love, love, you know. And his wife said, "You know something? Your mother's the one who came by and cooked that meal for you today." Well, my wife, she can't do anything. Or my husband, he can't do anything. See, you and I start criticizing. You know, we say, well, uh, can, can I give you some constructive criticism? Let me tell you something, my friend. There ain't no such thing. I know that ain't even good. I'm not teaching English. I'm preaching. There ain't no such thing as constructive criticism. You criticize her? No. See, here's what happens. It ends in self-righteousness. See, you and I, it's not the way of Christ. See, if we had time tonight, we'd go through Mark 14. You remember we broke the alabaster box on our Lord? Jesus said, She hath done what she could. She hath not my body to bury. See, that's Christ. Number five, unresponsive hearts to what God says. Well, I don't love her anymore. Well, then go home and start learning. See, love, in, I know, we, love, we think love is an emotion. She comes home and she said, Oh, Mama, I'm sorry. He's, isn't he sweet? Isn't he? Oh, it's just puppy love. You know what that is. Begin a dog's life. I mean, you know. Uh, and, and so when you and I look at this, and the fellow says, I don't love her anymore. You know what you do? Take the Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians 5 and say, Look what the Bible says. Go to Titus chapter 2 that the older women are to teach the younger women. What are you going to teach the younger women? To love their... Huh? To do what? To love their husband. What are you going to You're going to teach them. Oh, you mean it's not some kind of an emotion where I sweat and I'm all excited. 
This young boy went out on a date with this girl. First time he went on a date. Brought her home. They were standing out on the porch, and he kind of leaned himself up against the wall out there in the porch, you know, put his hand up. He said, would you, would you give me a kiss? She said, man, no. He said, I'm at the, somebody come to the door. I mean, some of my family come in. I, oh, he said, come on. He said, just one kiss, that's all. Just give me one. Oh, I, I, I've enjoyed the evening. I've enjoyed being. And she said, oh, I've enjoyed being with you. He said, just give me one. Just, just give me a kiss. She said, no. I'm, I mean, I, I, that's embarrassing. I mean, somebody see us. And, oh, he said, please, it won't take just a minute. And finally... The light comes on and the door opens. And her sister is standing there, hair disabled, and she's in her pajamas. And she said, Daddy sent me down here to tell you for you to go ahead and kiss him or let me kiss him or Daddy will come down and kiss him, but tell him to take his hand off the intercom button. (laughs) I don't love her anymore. Then go home and learn how. He that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. A heart of unbelief. Unresolved conflicts. I'm going to go through some of these quickly because we've already mentioned them some. Arguments are barriers. Contentions, the Bible says, are like the, the bars of a castle. How do people argue? They lose their temper. Pride. Oh, I've got to every time I've got to win this argument. Lack of love. Remember the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter number five. Number seven, lack of trust in one another. Jealousy is destructive. If you don't believe it, you go read in First Samuel chapter number eighteen, and you remember when Saul. When, when uh, David had gone to battle uh, and, and Saul was there, and when he came back and they're singing, Oh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Jealousy. Cause you great problem. Now, you need to be careful. Jealousy is cruel as a grave. And so, unfortunately, there are those, uh, you know, look at this. Believeth all things. I remember a couple one time came to me and, and they said, uh, Brother they cut, I think maybe the wife, I can't remember which one called me, said, we're having a problem. And what was taking place was that uh, her husband, he's, he's a very friendly, very outgoing person. And so what had, what had taken place, he, had began, he was texting some lady where he worked, uh, and it was just kind of an overly friendly type of text. And his wife happened to get a hold of his cell phone and read those texts. Now, see, we can cause that jealousy if we're not careful. See, you, I mean, we can, we can, a man can be too flirtatious. A lady can be too flirtatious. God has given us, let's get on to this number eight, God has given us the proper place for intimacy. It's in the marriage relationship. Sexual activity outside the marriage relationship is fornication. His needs are sexual. Recreational companionship. He wants a wife who is attractive. Domestic support and admiration. What does she want? Affection. Conversation. Honesty. Trust. She wants financial support. She wants him to be a a support of the family. Now I'm going to just uh, kind of pass this one up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there are three things you need to remember. Number one, do we need it? Though I speak with the tongues of men of angels and have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand knowledge, though I have faith that I can move mountains, though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor and have not love. Do we need it? We need it in our families. Secondly, would it work? I thought about this little boy. He's about eight or nine years old. His dad was in construction work. And so it wasn't uncommon for them to move from one place to another. And so one day, uh, the teacher came to the little boy and said, Son, you need to get all your things together. Your dad's coming out. You're going to another city. You need to get all your books and everything, all your supplies. And so the little boy was down at his desk getting everything out. And a friend came over and said, Man, I hate to see you. He said, it's, It must be tough not having a home. Oh, the little boy said, We have a home. We just don't have anywhere to put it. You know, folks, do we have a home? Will it work? It'll work, and it'll last forever. Now then, financial problems. Not much money. 
When a marriage is based on money, it'll crumble at the first sight of difficulty. I counsel with couples before they get married. And I probably I'll just, I mean, I have a list. I start out with a family. The first word in, the, in, the, in it is family. And I encourage this young man, this young lady, listen. You're not marrying him or her. You're marrying a family. Now, if you don't like her mom and daddy, then you better back up. Brother David Sane put out the best video, television, whatever you call it. Uh, several years ago, I asked him about it not long ago, and he said, well, I, I don't have it. Maybe you can find it somewhere. But he put out, the, and, and the title of it was When to Get a Divorce. And, of course, the emphasis was you get a divorce before you get married. Yeah. I have ten questions. I, I encourage folks, ten questions you ought to ask before you get married. I had a lady come out, and when I preached that sermon one night, she, come, she said, Brother Acuff, I know what the questions are. I need somebody to ask them to. Well, you know. Not much money. Overspend their income. We want to keep up with our next door neighbors. We want to keep up with someone over here, and so as a result, we will put these credit cards and we will we will put them to the max. All of us, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. I'm starting right up here. I'm not preaching back there. I'm starting right here to help us understand that we need to learn. We need members of the body of Christ to learn how to manage money. And the reason why, so many, I mean, it, it gets to be a selfish situation. It gets to be trying to keep up with someone else. Someone said Americans buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. And so I, and the second, I talk about family to these couples, the second thing I have on my list of counseling is money. You got a budget? Who's in charge of the money? Who's writing the checks? Who's paying the bills? Where the money goes? Who's putting the money in the bank? Brother Acuff, you mean you talk to them about all that? Yeah, it takes six weeks. Well, I'm going to tell you, if we can save a marriage because they understand what to do with money, there's, there are philosophies about money. See, here's, here's what happens. you got, you got, you got a, a fellow over here, and man, I'm telling you, he's tied as a... Y'all remember the buffalo nickel? You ever hear they squeeze the buffalo, I mean, they squeeze the buffalo off a nickel? I mean, he is tied... He's not going. And guess what? Over here is this young lady. She's just married. And man, does she love to go shop? She starts buying things and she hides them from her husband. See, and he 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 becomes more strict. And and he's man, I'm gonna clamp down on her. Listen, listen. Let me encourage you. Learn how. To manage money. If you don't, you're going to find yourself in a bucket and you cannot get out. Oh, listen, my friend. If, if we could just, we try to teach our folks at Lithia Springs on a regular basis. We have special classes to try to teach them how you manage money, how you live with a budget, how you understand what's going on in your family. Tempers flare. And so as a result of that, a bad result. Number 11, the husband and wife are not united in Christ. We need each other spiritually. I'll tell you something. It breaks my heart to find a young lady or a young man and they're, they're engaged and they're going to have a wedding and they're going to marry someone who's not a Christian. There's an elder in the church, and you can get your songbooks out. We're going to sing in just a second. The encourage. You've been such a great audience. Thank you so much. I, Brother Tony, I'd keep preaching, but these, these folks have been patient with me, and I thank you for that. God bless you. You've just been so kind. There's an elder in the church, the Bremen Church. Uh, Brother Chris Stevenson is one of the elders in that church. Great family. He has a son named Jake. 
And Jake had met this young lady on the internet. Some kind of a, uh, I don't know, there's, a, there's several Christian uh, sources for folks to meet. He had met her uh, somehow or another. Maybe it wasn't that way. I, anyhow, he'd met this young lady. And they had began to communicate on the internet. And then they began to communicate with phone calls. And then they started dating, got together. And uh, one day, Brother Chris got a phone call. And his son was upset. And Tammy could kind of get a little bit. She didn't understand what's going on in the conversation. Jake was talking with his dad. And, and so uh, she said, uh, when he hung up, she said, what's, what's going on? And he said, well, Jake uh, has let her know that he is severing the relationship. Now, I asked Chris. I said, Chris, can I tell Is it all right? Uh, and, and I said, I got it right. And But he said, Jake said, I'm severing that. He was crying. He had to sever that relationship because he said to her, he said, I am a Christian and I want my family to be a Christian family and you seemingly do not have any interest in that. I'm going to sever that relationship. She got to thinking about that. She wasn't familiar with the churches of Christ. She got in touch with someone in the Church of Christ and started a Bible study, obeyed the gospel of Christ. They are married today and have two beautiful children because he had the courage. He had the courage to say, listen, if you're not going to be a Christian, I want to go to heaven. I want to have a Christian home. Now, maybe tonight you didn't do that. Maybe your mate. Maybe, maybe someone in this audience is not a child of God tonight, but you're, you love each other, you love your husband, you love your wife, you have just not obeyed the gospel. I want to challenge you tonight. Correct that situation. Both of you want to go to heaven. I want to ask, do you really want to stand before God in the day of judgment and hear Him say to your mate, to your sons, your daughters, Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord, and then have him say, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you really? I don't think you do. I really don't. If you did, you wouldn't be here tonight. If you're not a Christian tonight, and I know you believe in the Bible, you probably wouldn't be here if you didn't. You believe in Jesus Christ as a Son of God. Be willing tonight to confess his name before this assembly. Brother Tony, one of the else, someone will be delighted to baptize you tonight into the body of Jesus Christ. Will you come now while together we stand and sing?